Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome in San Diego, it's Jade Hindman. Today we're talking about school board recall efforts in the Temecula Valley Unified School District. The 19th Snodger Niddle joins us for that. And Dr. Rodney Hood discusses how racism impacts the health of black women. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Schools have become battlegrounds for culture wars and academic censorship around the country. And it's happening in Temecula, where one community is grappling with their school board's turn to the far right. In November 2022, three conservative school board members took office at the Temecula Valley Unified School District. They essentially banned the teaching of black history in classrooms the same day they were sworn in. Their controversial policies have caused outcry among parents, teachers, students, and draw national scrutiny, even from Governor Gavin Newsom. Just last week, activists gathered enough signatures for a recall race against Board President Joseph Kamrowski. That's set to take place sometime next year. Joining me now to talk more about the recall race is Nadra Niddle. She's an education reporter with the 19th, a nonprofit newsroom dedicated to covering gender, politics, and policy. Nadra, welcome. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. So Temecula Valley Unified has been at the center of controversy for quite some time now, even before these three school board members were elected. Uh, board President Joseph Kamrowski actually made an offensive statement back in June that drew criticism from Newsom. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so in June, the school board had rejected a social studies curriculum for mentioning the first gay public official in, in California, Harvey Milk. And so during that meeting, he referred to Harvey Milk as a pedophile, which drew a response from Governor Gavin Newsom on X, formerly Twitter. 
Hmm. And so then this was just the, the tip of the iceberg. What are some of the policies that have been passed under the current school board? They were elected in November 2022. So their first move was to ban critical race theory, which led to protests from students and parents in very contentious school board meetings. Also, during some of those meetings, Black parents were ejected. Um, so that was the first major controversy. Then you had, as we just mentioned, you know, the school board president referring to Harvey Milk, who is a gay icon, as a pedophile. The, the school district was going to reject a social studies curriculum simply for mentioning him, Milk, in the supplemental materials. And it took threats from the governor and Attorney General Rob Bonta to basically get them not to reject this social studies book, which had also already been piloted and, and teachers had liked it and had not gotten any complaints from parents about it. So they ended up under the threat of fines and the governor possibly sending those textbooks to the schools anyway. They reversed track on, on banning that social studies curriculum. They've also passed policies just uh, against flags. So only having the American and the California flag be able to be displayed on school campuses. And the theory behind that is supposedly, you know, to stop people from displaying pride flags during Pride Month, which is something else some of the conservatives, you know, in the district had had taken issue with. So that that was another issue that upset people. And they also fired the superintendent who was a popular superintendent and they fired her without cause. I want to dig into what's behind this a bit more. And I'll start with critical race theory. You mentioned that term, but it's a framework that's not actually taught in K through 12 schools, but in law schools. So what does that term cover for really? And what's really meant when we hear the term CRT as it pertains to K through 12 classrooms? So I interviewed a, a Black teacher in, in the Temecula Valley Unified School District who's been teaching in that district for over two decades. And, you know, she she was very upset about the CRT ban. And she said that she has been accused of practicing CRT simply for discussing the fact that her parents were sharecroppers in the segregated South. So someone like her, her name's Diane Cox, um, views and attack on CRT is simply an attack of really just saying we don't want our educators to discuss race or racism or the legacy of racism. And anyone who mentions that in any kind of way is practicing CRT. And so, so she and other people in the district just view it as a quote unquote whitewashing of history. Hmm. I mean, why was banning curriculum around race a big priority for this board? They are being influenced based on what my sources told me um, from groups across the country who are basically using the same playbook. And so that playbook is to target Black people, queer people, and other marginalized groups. Um, you know, I interviewed the head of, uh, of a political action committee, uh, the one Temecula Valley PAC, who, who was leading the recall effort against these school board members. And, 
you know, he said he had a conversation with one of them. And at the time, that school board member had not been in a classroom, had not really talked to teachers and really didn't understand what CRT is. So it's not necessarily that, you know, these school board members really do have an understanding of these concepts, but they have labeled them as bad. And so they're targeting them because they're being targeted across the country. Labeled and mislabeled, uh, it sounds like. Yes. I mean, you mentioned the million dollar fine Newsom nearly imposed on the district over the social studies curriculum. Has the board faced any other legal challenges as a result of these uh, controversial policies? Well, they're facing a lawsuit over the CRT ban, and that lawsuit has gone on to also mentioned some of their anti-LGBTQ plus policies as well. So one policy that I haven't mentioned was this gender disclosure policy. So if a student um, is trans and wants to use pronouns that they were not assigned at birth under that policy, educators would have to inform the student's parents. So essentially outing trans students and other students who may identify as as, as non-binary or in, in some other, you know, way that does not conform with what they were assigned at birth. So there's a lawsuit right now um, against the district because of that. And that's another reason that, you know, many community community members are upset because these lawsuits are are costly. It, it's, it requires using district resources to defend some of these controversial policies. And the district's turn to the far right can actually be traced to the beginning of the pandemic, right? So yes, the person there, there is an evangelical pastor in the area who helped to get these three school board members elected and he was upset during the pandemic about mask mandates, and he wanted the school board to challenge um, mask mandates that had been imposed by the state. The school board at the time did not do that. And so he created a pact that helped get these three conservatives elected. But yes, it all started with um, you know, con uh, concern or complaints about mask mandates. And so really nothing to do with CRT or LGBTQ plus people. Hmm. I'm and I'm going to just ask your opinion on that or what you found as a reporter. What do you what was behind that movement? The anti-masking, um, the anti-vax movement? From what I have heard and, and written about and, and other stories, there seemed to have been a turn. There was a certain point during the pandemic when we heard that marginalized groups, right, communities of color were most at risk for, from suffering adverse effects of getting COVID-19. And once that news broke, you started to see a lot of protests against lockdowns, against masks and other precautions. So some people do believe that, you know, race or racism um, has played a role in the in the anti-mask movement in particular. The vax move, the anti-vax movement, you know, is broader and and goes back years. Um, but with COVID nineteen in particular, that there was a racial element. So once people learned that, oh, it might be uh, black and brown people who are most likely to die of COVID nineteen or suffer serious consequences, then we 
you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> groups that don't belong to those communities should not have to, you know, wear a mask or social distance or do anything that would inconvenience us. With all of that, I mean, earlier this month, activist groups successfully gathered enough signatures to put forth a recall race against Kamrowski. Where did the idea for the recall come from? So there's a group of Black moms in Temecula called Enact. And so they spoke to the head of one Valley, one Temecula Valley PAC um, when these school boards got elected and when they started to pass these controversial policies and said, we need to try to recall them. And so Jeff Pack, who's the co-founder of one Temecula Valley PAC, um, you know, got to work on a, on a recall effort with the help of these Black moms, with groups like Grandparents for Truth, um, other, you know, concerned community members. And then later, um, chapters of the NAACP and LULAC, which is, um, you know, a a Latino um, civil rights group, they they supported the effort as well. So it was a really, you know, a broad-based effort in Temecula and even the communities, the surrounding communities um, to get at least one of these school board members recalled. Mm. And you mentioned ENACT. Black women have really been critical leaders in this recall campaign. Can you talk more about that and their role in pushing back against censorship and other policies that target marginalized youth? Yeah, so for my article, I interviewed um, two Black women. One, well, they're both actually parents, but one is the parent of a current student um, in the Temecula School District. Another is a teacher, is a longtime teacher. So they both have been in this community um, for at least 20 years, a little more than that. And they were concerned about the turn that the school board was taking and the fact that they started to feel marginalized in communities that they have considered home for over two decades. And so they got the ball rolling um, in terms of you know, backing a recall effort against these um, school board members. But they've also, you know, said that they have suffered as well, that they feel like they've faced intimidation and harassment, um, mostly online, but even um, in person as well, um, because of their activism. So they've spoken up at, at school board meetings. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, some of these parents, some Black parents, were ejected for speaking out uh, at school board meetings, for being critical of the school board. Um, so yeah, that's the effort of some some Black moms. And I got to say some Black dads too, even though my story didn't focus on Black dads, but there was, a, there was viral footage of a Black dad getting kicked out of a school board meeting earlier this year. Hmm. Have these meetings been hostile? Yeah, and I personally have not been to one of the meetings, but I've seen the footage. I've talked to people who have. And yes, many people say that they have been very hostile, very contentious, that there have been efforts to block people from speaking, including students who, you know, at one meeting to ban CRT, um, they waited until midnight to get their chance to speak uh, to the school board um, and tell them why a CRT ban was wrong and uh, they had to demand their turn to speak because apparently the school board president uh, was not going to allow them to, at least uh, according to my sources. And so, yeah, they they have been 
contentious and there have been protests, you know, during and, and after some of these meetings because of that. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman speaking with Nadra Niddle, the education reporter at the 19th, about the ongoing recall efforts at Temecula Valley Unified. Nadra, what's at stake here? What happens uh, with these recall efforts? What's at stake is really just what direction is this school board and school district going to go in if the signatures are verified and there a recall does result out of this, according to, you know, the PAC that I interviewed, they have, they did get enough signatures by the deadline, which was December 8th, to recall the president. And there's going to be an election next year. And if the school board president is recalled, that would tip the school board back in a more liberal direction because there are five school board members. Three of them were conservatives. But if one of them is replaced by a liberal or a progressive candidate, that means likely the end of some of these very controversial policies we've seen over the past year. And let me ask you this. I mean, do you have any sense that the needle here has been pulled so far to the right that a pretty standard education is now looked at as progressive? I think that's true. I think what educators are saying they have a problem with, though there are some conservative educators as well. Um, but what many educators are saying is, A, um, some of these conservative school board members and conservative parental rights groups are ignoring the fact that they went to school. Many of them have master's degrees and they have the content knowledge necessary to give students a proper education. And that's being questioned by people who don't have those same credentials. And Many teachers will tell you they are not trying to indoctrinate children in any way. They are trying to teach children the nation's history. They're trying to have dialogues about current events. And students need to be able to exchange ideas in classrooms, a wide range of ideas. And so when you have policies that are limiting what can be taught, you prevent educators from doing their job and you prevent students from getting a well-rounded education. And we've been talking about the adults leading these recall efforts, but how are students feeling and what's their involvement been like? Um, it sounds like they're having a hard time even having their voices heard. Yeah, at least from what I've heard about one school board meeting, that that was definitely true, um, that there were efforts to prevent you know, students and other community members from, from addressing the school board. But school students, you know, they have protested. Um, they've led more than one protest, both Black students, um, LGBTQ plus students, and their supporters have, have really led efforts and walkouts to say that they do not condone the policies um, of this school district or of the school board. So students, their parents, their families, grandparents, this has been a family affair in terms of um, activism against this school board. Mm. And all the people you interviewed are longtime residents of Temecula who are connected and uh, are concerned about the direction this board is taking. One grandmother you spoke to, Holly Hall, 
said she feels like this might divide the community. Can you talk more about that? I mean, how is this affecting the community at large? Yeah, I mean, Holly Hall was very concerned when the school board tried to reject um, the social studies curriculum. She's a retired educator herself. And she said that her family is made up of people of, you know, different ethnic backgrounds, religions, sexual orientations, gender identities. And so she was really concerned at some of these policies because she felt like the school board was sending a message that implied that certain community members should be treated as second class citizens. So that really got her um, involved and motivated to start participating in activism, to start fighting against this school district, um, whether that meant helping to get signatures um, for a recall um, having donating money to the cause, having lawn signs about the recall on, on her lawn, whatever she could do, um, she she has tried to do. And she said it's been difficult because, I mean, Temecula is a, a very conservative community. There's a Republican plurality in terms of the registered voters there. Mm. You know, at a time when censorship is high and curriculum about race and gender is being banned across schools, how does Temecula reflect what's going on across the country? I mean, we're seeing what various organizations from the American Library Association to PIN America, the ACLU and, and other groups that fight for freedom of expression um, that this is a these past few years have have been a time of tremendous censorship and rollback of of whether it's ethnic studies, whether it is LGBTQ plus inclusion in schools that we have we have been in a period that many uh, people believe constitutes a regression um, in terms of inclusion, in terms of diversity and, and equity in public schools. And so there are people who are, are very concerned about climate in schools across the country over these past couple of years. But at the same time, there have been efforts like we've seen in Temecula of people um, rising up to oppose um, what some people call authoritarian, authoritarianism, a, a rise in that. And mm -hmm. so many people would look at that as a positive, the fact that there are people who are willing to mobilize and, and fight against um, censorship and, and book banning and bans on CRT. Who benefits from those things? What's behind all of this? Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question in terms of who who benefits. Um, I mean, I, I guess the status quo of your would be the primary beneficiary because I think this is a movement that's largely against change. And we have seen schools, especially after the police murder of George Floyd, who started talking about the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and started focusing on how um, they could better serve students of color. And not everyone liked the focus on, you know, on serving those students or and try, trying to recruit more diverse faculty members. There are people who did not like that, who wanted to return to you know, an older status quo. And so by having curriculum oversight bills, censorship bills, um, parental rights bills, I, I think that's who, who benefits the people who did not 
want to see the changes that occurred even before George Floyd's murder, but definitely, you know, that we saw more of at following his murder. I've been speaking with Nadra Niddle, the education reporter for the 19th. Nadra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What do you think about the banning of race and gender studies in the Temecula Valley Unified School District? Give us a call, 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, Dr. Rodney Hood joins us to talk about a new study revealing the impact of racism on Black women's health. It's believed that chronically these uh, hormones and stresses lead to things that develop into hypertension and then diabetes and obesity, etc. More on that when KPBS Midday Edition returns. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. There are many factors that put black women at a greater risk for illnesses like diabetes, breast cancer, heart disease, and stroke. Racism is one of those factors. A recent study out of Boston University found racism in particular increases the risk of stroke in black women who perceive it by 38%. The study was published by the university's Black Women's Health Study. It's part of a greater effort to show how social and environmental conditions can also impact the health of black women. Dr. Rodney Hood is a physician of internal medicine here in San Diego. He's also president and chairman of the Multicultural Health Foundation. And this is an area he spent many years researching. Dr. Hood, it's always great to have you on Midday Edition. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So first, what do you think about the importance of this new study from Boston University, which directly points to racism as a health risk? I believe that uh, it's uh, critical in that probably for the past 10, 15 years, many of us who have been researching in this area have clearly felt without a lot of evidence at first that racism was a critical component of what we call social determinants of health just as your social economic status, your education, et cetera. But how do you measure uh, racism? Well, Dr. Uh, David Williams at Harvard developed uh, several tests that actually can measure your interpersonal racism in studies, including this one, and now coming out uh, showing that individuals that have higher levels of perceived racism tend to have higher worst outcomes health-wise. And since research has led to measurements for racism, can you talk about how it impacts the body? Well, you know, we know racism acts through chronic indolent stress. I've termed the word PTSD, post-traumatic slavery disorder. What I mean by that is there's evidence now that the ethno-historic traumas that have taken place going all the way back to uh, slavery have been incorporated modern day through the perception of racism and what we call chronic indolent stress. There's another name for it called allostatic load. 
it can actually be measured in higher levels of blood pressure, higher levels of stress hormones. And they've begun to do studies and finding out that under stress, these levels go up. And in African-Americans, and especially in African-American females, they have some of the highest allostatic loads of all ethnicities. So this study goes back to kind of bringing uh, proof to what those measurements are measuring. And for those who don't know what allostatic load is, can you explain that? Allostatic load really is what we call chronic toxic stress. Because of what, whatever you're stressing out about, and we're talking about the chronic stress of racism, the micro insults, the W.E.B. Du Bois talks about the two souls of Black folks, one in which uh, we talk differently amongst ourselves, and then we talk differently and interact differently with the majority of community. All of that is uh, chronic stress, and it can now be measured in higher levels of cortisol, higher levels of epinephrine, higher levels of A1C. So these are things uh, that can be measured in the body that go along with chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is what starts damaging end organs, such as the blood vessels and the heart and the kidneys and the eye. So when you have higher levels of that stress that Blacks do, that's one of the issues. It's not the only issue. Where you live is important. Your social economic status is important. But getting back to Black women, it's also been an enigma when it was looked at and found that the maternal death rate amongst Black women, and the infant mortality death rate amongst Black babies is highest amongst Black women. And the disparity doesn't go away, even with educated and higher income Black women. And I think going back to this study, that begins to help explain it. Racism is also a major psychological stressor. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, the uh, perceived stress is really how you perceive how people or situations are interacting with you on an individual basis. So if you really look at this uh, study, one of the interesting things in the study, it looked at over 48,000 African-American women over a 22-year period. That's a long period of time. And they gave them all this racism perception measure and about 70% of the African-American women answered yes to at least one of the uh, three main uh, questions. About 12% answered yes to all three. And the ones that answered yes to all three perceiving racism had about 38% higher risk of strokes than those who answered uh, zero. So it's believed that chronically these uh, hormones and stresses lead to things that develop into hypertension and then diabetes and obesity, et cetera. And I mean, with racism being an, an aggravating factor in health disparities, can you point to any other factors that contribute to this problem too? Yeah, so clearly the ones that we have documented include social economic status, include your educational level, include geography, where you live, as a matter of fact, your health outcome is probably more determinative as to what zip code you were born and live in than your uh, genetic uh, makeup. Then there's the uh, stress of what I call a uh, lack of uh, social empowerment, 
not really being in control of of your job and uh, being able to get hired, but the last hired and the first fired type of uh, syndrome. So at every level, I think Black folks feel that there's more things they have to overcome than the general population. And another layer to this is the racism and discrimination uh, that studies have shown exist within the healthcare system, which also leads to more negative health outcomes for Black people. Can you explain how structural racism in healthcare works and its impact on Black women's health in particular? Yeah. So uh, you pointed out a very good thing. This study is talking about interpersonal racism and how it's perceived. However, there's also the structural racism. And many studies have shown that Blacks and Black women in particular are treated differently within the healthcare system. So uh, there's something called implicit bias. And uh, that's kind of your subconscious bias that's not really conscious to you. And so if you bought into the negative stereotype of uh, Blacks in this uh, country, when you start treating them in the healthcare system, Many times physicians are are making different decisions for black patients than they are their white patients. And many times that's on an unconscious uh, basis. There's a a study in 1999 published in the New England Journal of Medicine where they had actors half black, half white, half female. And what they found is that physicians in general made the correct diagnosis but they made different, less therapeutic appropriate decisions for black women than for the others. And at that time, they couldn't explain why. Well, we now know that it has to do with implicit bias. So what do you think we could do to limit exposure to risk factors like racism or mitigate its toxic impact to reduce the chances of stroke and other health conditions? I am a uh, believer in in, uh, vitamin D and have been for uh, 15 years ordering vitamin D levels on all my patients. Many times the insurance company didn't even want to pay for it because they didn't have a diagnosis to go along with it. And I do believe that uh, vitamin D may be one of the uh, contributing issues of why Blacks have high blood pressure. But I must be honest, researching the uh, literature, there's a lot of conflicting data to uh, confirm that. But many of us uh, do uh, believe that, and I think much more study needs to be done in that area. I think the other thing is that we need to incorporate behavioral health relaxation techniques in the treatment of hypertension, not only dietary changes, but uh, specifically uh, eliminating uh, significant amounts of salt and increasing your uh, exercise. People say, well, I have hypertension and I'm African-American. Yes, that makes you at increased risk. You can't change being African-American, but you can change your lifestyle. And given that that's the case, then the suggestions that you have to sort of mitigate the body's response to stressors like that, I mean, are these recommendations just recommendations or are they really a must for Black people and Black women? In my opinion, they're a must. Let me say this. I've been researching this for uh, 30 years. And as we come up with other tools to help treat hypertension and strokes, so far, whatever we've come up with does not substitute for medication. So it's critical that people who have better controlled blood pressure, people who have better controlled diabetes tend to do better. But on top of that, 
we need to do stress reduction techniques, exercising, meditating, reading, quiet time. And I think that that's uh, critical and should be incorporated in recommendations. I've been speaking with Dr. Rodney Hood, president and chairman of the Multicultural Health Foundation. Dr. Hood, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.